Gua sobro. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Third Sub Podcast, episode 186 of the Third Sub. I'm your co-host Alexander Gungiruzic, joined as always by Samuel Rowan, and the off-season rolls on. It's It's been a bit strange, I suppose. Uh, no more Vancouver Whitecaps, no more CPL, of course League One BC ended a long time ago, but uh, for so long during the year, it feels like every week that kind of carried our... Uh, our conscience just having that that sort of that, those games every week so it's first off it's been very strange to not have that of course as all of you know that doesn't mean the football calendar is over of course Canadian men's and women's are very busy this month or over the next month uh, as of the day of recording the men's national team getting set to play a crucial series against Jamaica of course the women officially announced uh, today that 35,000 uh Tickets have been sold for the the Christine Sinclair BC Place farewell. Uh, with how long there is still till that game, couple weeks could very well sell out still. But of course, there's still a lot going on with the Whitecaps themselves. Um, they also they, they they've been getting some movement on some roster uh, roster just you know moves movement on roster moves. I know redundant, but. Uh, yeah, big news on that front as well. Some hey, Vancouver FC is good, has done their roster, uh, some roster moves as well. It's that time of year. If you love transactions, if you love transfers, if you're uh, the kind of nerd that loves all that stuff like we do, this is the time for you. But of course, before we dive into all of that, Sam, I just how's it going this week? Doing pretty well. It's uh, it's a different tempo, isn't it? When the the MLS season is over, CPL season's over. It's- you know, matches, 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 week in, week out. And it feels a bit quiet, but as you mentioned, still plenty of football to sink your teeth into. And yeah, it's it's a roster update season at the moment. Uh, we have a lot of those uh, talking points we're going to dive into on this show, as well as uh, we haven't really had a, a detailed chat since season end media availability with uh, both Vanny Sartini and Axel Schuster. So I think some good nuggets there in terms of how they'll reflect on the season, um, how they'll look to make some tweaks headed into 2024. Obviously, it's very early days in that front, but we're already seeing with these roster updates, some of the the deck chairs being shifted around positioning for 2024. So uh, it's going to be a good one, maybe a little little more laid back, less, you know, big... uh, big news points to dive into, but I think lots of, lots of interesting conversations to have. And, uh, you know, 2024, especially given the nature of the MLS schedule with champions cup starting so early, this thing's going to turn around awfully quickly. So, uh, yeah, we gotta, we gotta get our off season grind here and, and get everyone ready for, uh, for the 2024 season. That's really just around the corner. Yeah, it's, that's exactly it. It's right around the corner. So trust me, you'll blink and it'll be over. Like we're already through the slog that was the first round of MLS Cup playoffs. 
also kind of objectively hilarious that seven out of the eight top seeds or whatever it was, like seven out of eight matchups, the higher seed won. So we kind of did all those three games for for what? <laughs> Just to, to end up with the same thing that single elimination likely would have brought us. But that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, I guess just to start, the Vancouver Whitecaps are getting some wheeling and dealing done um, as they prepare for 2024. So quickly, we'll just start with the, the they announced some roster moves. So I'll just roll through what they announced quickly. It's about a week ago, of course. So Thomas Assal, uh, Matteo Campagna, Cameron Habibula, all gone. They've they've been uh, you know they've left the team. Um, we can maybe dive into where we see. Um, that trio going, but that's a that's a pair or it's a trio of Canadian uh, of Canadian Whitecaps homegrowns. So it's always sad to see those kinds of players go. At the same time, there's plenty of opportunity for them now, which is great. Five ten years ago, for a roster move like this was announced, um, you know, it'd be a lot rougher. But perhaps this could be scenarios that all three of them need to to find their feet as professionals. Otherwise, Isaac Bomer. Ryan Raposo, Simon Betcher, Levante Johnson all had options exercised. Um, again, we'll dive into this all deeper. Um, just wanted to say that's, the Raposo one is the big one there, just because we thought he, we all thought he was a free agent, so that's good that they had an option on him. Um, and it's going to be a crucial year to figure out what to do with him. Um, but I just that, that was good to see. Otherwise, they announced at the time that they were having ongoing talks with Karifa Yao, Russell Tybert. We can now confirm as the team announced that Karifa Yao indeed has had his option declined. He's eligible for the re-entry draft, um, or of course he could head elsewhere back to the CPL. Um, As for Tybert, still no news. Uh, Sebastian Burhalter also remains in negotiations, as does Richie Larea with Nottingham Forest, and then of course Junior Hoylet as a free agent. Uh, and lastly, the Kyle Alexandre sale is all but final as he had a purchase option in his contract. And man, apparently the maybe the purchase option wasn't the right move because it uh, sounds like some Brazilian giants could be in on him for 10 plus million. So, A, maybe the Whitecaps should have kept him because, uh, you know, they're still looking for a Julian Gressel replacement. Although, hey, Julian Gressel has been benched over at Columbus and didn't sound too happy about it. So who knows? Maybe there's a full circle moment to be had there. And then otherwise, Diver Caicedo is still out on loan uh, in uh, in his home country of Colombia until next summer. So no update on that one. And we won't we won't get much news on that till next summer. So, yeah, lots to lots to unpack. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, very, very good summation there. I guess let's let's start with those who have been with the club for quite a while and, and are departing, which is, uh, you know, primarily Thomas Assal, uh, Campania, Cam Habibula. I, I think, you know, really it's interesting that that group leaves the club together because you have three players at three different positions throughout the roster, all who had moments showing a lot of promise, showing starting MLS potential uh, and, you know, guys that had also varying looks at the first team level. Hassal ex- extended opportunities with the first team, looked like an MLS starting goalkeeper at times, but uh, whether it was the way the club handled his development, his struggle to stay healthy, his struggle with long-term injury, uh, whatever it was, it just it never quite worked out for Thomas in Vancouver, uh, which I think is a real shame because – you know, the idea of like Maxime Crapeau before him, the idea of having a Canadian keeper uh, starting 
at the MLS level and, and contributing, providing that surplus value we talk about, right? Where if you can have a, a domestic goalkeeper back there doing the job, it's a great way to just optimize your squad. So um, it's a disappointing one, I think, probably for the club as well as for Thomas, because I'm sure they envisioned a scenario where this worked out in the long term. I mean, I remember Vanny Sartini and Axel Schuster talking about we want to help Thomas be the starting goalkeeper for the Canadian men's national team. That was probably 18, 20 months ago. They were, they were saying that kind of thing. So it's crazy how quickly uh, the footballing world changes uh, based on, you know, the, the way the intervening months go. So uh, I, I guess we'll start there. I mean, I mentioned all three, but Thomas is the one with the most first team action, probably the, uh, the biggest legacy at the club, at least at the first team level. Yeah, but honestly, looking at all three of them, it's, you know, on one hand, of course, there's, I'd say, natural frustration. I, I think it's something where, that's not saying that's a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. Frustration does not equal, oh, this is, you know, a horrible decision and someone should be fired. No, this, I think it's frustration because anytime you have to let homegrowns go, it's, you know, it's, you, you want it better for guys from the academy, local guys, Canadian guys. But But these all make a lot of sense, I think. Guys, at least I'll speak personally, I'm disappointed to see them go, but I totally understand why both the player and the club together came to the decision that, okay, it's it's time for a change. Well, that's it. It's frustrating from the academy perspective, if anything. I think because I think from the club's perspective, it's good, honestly. It's it's good in the sense that you don't feel that they fit the, the mold, fit the system, fit whatever no reason in hanging them around and kind of leaving them with false hope, false optimism, right? Like if they don't fit, they don't fit, you know, fair enough. And then I'd say from the player's perspective, this is great because this kind of allows them to go rebuild themselves. And, you know, especially like, yeah, for, for Hassal, he's had someone who's shown that he could honestly, I'd say he could, he's shown enough at the MLS level because you look at some of his, like the numbers he showed when, in periods where he's healthy, he showed that in terms of the numbers, in terms of the eye test, at the very least, he was around average, which for his age at the time made him pretty above average. And, you know, again, people might knock on average, but as you see, like sometimes just having a goalkeeper who keeps your, his expected goals at around zero and does his job could be incredibly valuable. The Whitecaps learned that lesson in 2020 two where you know they they maybe had you know that's why they brought in someone like Yohei Takoka um in the offseason so I think for Hassal it's great just because especially with the injuries it feels like for him his biggest um issue that I'd say he'll need to fix and I say again it sounds harsh to say um because it's not an issue I just say his the big thing he'll need to go chase now is confidence and I think by going and being the guy elsewhere, maybe in the CPL, USL, he can find that confidence. Because I think when you when you t- put away the confidence, there's still, you know, that's someone with, he's tall, um, he, he showed good command of his area. Um, so I'd say Hassal, that'll be good for him. And then for Campania and Habibula, they're still at a young age where, look, one's Campania's 19, Habibula's 20. So if they go to the CPL, Habibullah will count for you 20 minutes, you 21 minutes for at least one year. And in Campania should count for you 21 minutes for two years. So first of all, that'll make them more valuable to CPL teams that they could potentially get starters who could also help them with you 21 minutes and are domestic. 
Um, and then, yeah, that they're still at an age where they're not stuck all of a sudden at 21, 22. And you're like, wow, they played like they barely played over the last few years. What kind of happened to them? They, they, they kind of avoid that limbo that you can kind of get stuck into um, that perhaps even a Hassal kind of got stuck into. And that's another reason why his confidence is kind of it, it, where it is now, where he was kind of because he got graduated so early to the first team because there's no second team at the time and he had his chance to the first team you're kind of at a point where a second team comes around you're kind of like ah he's already graduated the first team whereas you wonder especially at 21 22 like he was last year could he you know could it have made sense for him to to especially post injury to be a guy with the second team but he was kind of caught in that limbo where you know you already committed to giving guys like Isaac Bomer, Max Anker, you know, even Ben Alexander at the time, more minutes at the second team level. He got stuck in that limbo. So I think for companion Happy Bula, there was clear that they were pretty good MLS next pro contributors, but you know, Axel Schuster and company deemed that they weren't ready for the first team yet. And I think it'll be good for them to, to go develop. And Hey, I mean, for what it's worth, they'll probably still have their MLS rights. Should one of them go to CPL and pop off and, 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 and go so i'd say overall the good the good theme there is as frustrating it is from an academy perspective is that they all leave at good times where you're not sitting there and be like wow they're um you know their career they need to rebuild no i think they're all at good ages where they can go help clubs and um i think that's that's positive in the sense that it's not happening too late absolutely and i mean the thing with mls next pro is it's, it's fantastic this league's been created i feel like there's you know you, you need to look no further than an ali ahmed to see why the league itself and the white caps having a second team in it is really important, but that approach of sort of one year next pro, and then on you go to the first team, it might work for some players, but for others, that's just not the right fit. And so, you know, I think of guys like Kim Happy and Matteo Campania, and it's like, even though they're getting that look at the next pro level, if they're not ready to make that jump yet, playing 12, 15 matches, playing a thousand minutes in next pro, it's not really enough at this point for them. If, if they have skills they need to round out, if they have serious steps in their development, they still need to make before being MLS regulars, it's better for them to go to a CPL and play 30 matches a season, log heavy minutes, learn the rigors of being a pro, um, you know, a, a little more independently. Something that Axel Schuster mentioned as well, which I thought was a really valuable point, is these are young kids, sometimes just getting away from home, moving out, you know, going to a different environment. It's like, it's like going off to university, right? Like sometimes getting away from home and figuring things out for yourself helps you make that next step. And so, you know, I, I think that that goes for some of these guys that have been in the Vancouver system for a long time. I'm guessing reading between the lines, that the club felt like with Habibula, obviously Habibula been on a lot of trials already. Campania been out on loan once, but it felt like these guys needed a little bit of a kick, something to, to get their career to the next stage. And it wasn't going to happen by just staying in Vancouver. So I think personally for them, this could only be a good thing. As you mentioned, those discovery rights still there. So, you know, I don't think the the, the club necessarily is uh, you know giving up on these players that they might not come back at some point, but I think they're also doing right by them at this stage in their career. So I hope they, I hope all three sign the Canadian Premier League selfishly so we can, uh, we can follow them closely next season, but we'll just, we'll just have to see where it goes.
Hundred percent. I think early. Um, I think Hassal hundred percent makes sense in the CPL just because he's a young Canadian keeper, and as we kind of saw with this cohort of goalkeepers this year, there wasn't really anyone that was that young, other than well, not that young. I just sorry, there wasn't really anyone under U twenty five except um, Emil Gazdov, who was who's nineteen, and then of course Ryan Yesley, who's twenty four. Um, so I think having a younger because honestly, again, we have to remember like 22, 23, like Hassal is, it's still very young for a goalkeeper. I think he might even be 24 now, but still young. Like we'll always say with when Max Crepo broke through, when others have broke through, Dane Sinclair, like it, it's a position where if, if you're, you know, by 25, 26, okay, yeah, you want to be a regular starter, but it's it's one where it takes time. Um, so hopefully Hassal ends up with the CPL. I mean, in terms of favorite landing spots, we'll have to see what how some of the goalkeeping situation shapes up across the CPL. But I could see him doing a job, of course, nearby with Pacific. Um, maybe he, he could be a good mentor for someone like a Gazdov, um, you know, especially because he came on really early like Gazdov did. So he can kind of, you know, take Gazdov through the rigors of all that. Or if not, I could see Hassel really doing a job at York. Or another one, of course, would be Valor because, you know, someone like Yesley has got interest elsewhere. He knows Phil DeSantos. It could be a hole if the, Yesley the was prairie, The Prairie connection as well. I know it's the wrong province, but that, that's the one that came to mind for me. So I, I think there's some options across the league depending on how things shake up. In terms of Campania, man, I think he should be pretty uh, valuable. I think a young center back of his age who's already played in the CPL – Man, you can see him. He can, he can make sense for pretty much any team in the league, really. Um, depending on who, of, of course, who leaves, who goes. Like I could see him again doing a job at a Valor, even a nearby to Vancouver. Man, I, I even I, like a Calvary. You can imagine Tommy Wilden Jr. doing a job with him and then getting something the most out of him. Pretty much, you know, most teams uh, across the board. And then as for Habibula. I, he's an interesting one. I see him like at a team like a York again. I think with their attacking depth, he can slot in nicely. Maybe play because uh, they they play with inverted wingers. He could play but more of an inverted wide player again. Um, if not, if he wants to play more of a ten, could see him at a yeah, could see him at a Valor again because there's that connection and they could use some attacking spark uh, pieces even at at Vancouver. Like you can imagine what a fluid front four of like an Alejandro Diaz with, you know, a, a three of Cantave, Batar, Habibula all underneath him. That could also um, do some wonders. So the good news is there should be uh, no shortage of landing spots for those three. It's funny, as you talk about Habibula, it immediately makes me think this is the Matteo Polisi post-SFU conundrum, which is what do you do with like young Canadian ball-dominant number 10s who are used to sort of being a the feature player in the team right and, and where do those guys fit when they when they make the jump to the canadian premier league and we already saw with cam in his little time with pacific that didn't really work out uh mateo had a hard time finding a, a permanent fit in the cpl so you know weirdly enough uh the fits it, this is just the way it goes often for attacking players who we are chatting about before the show even that just sometimes the fit, the position for young Canadian attackers is it's more challenging, right? You're a center back, you're a keeper. It feels more plug and play. There's more opportunities, but uh, these young attackers, especially someone like Cam, that's, you know, has a bit of a history and uh, certainly needs the right play style to suit him. I, I think that's an interesting one, but uh, we'll just have to see how it goes this offseason. 
hundred percent. So I'll be fascinating to see. Wish them all the best. Otherwise, in terms of the second part, really, I don't have much to say. Um, so I'll hop in really. Isaac Bomer, I think it makes sense to bring him in. Can be maybe push him to be the backup uh, replacement for Hassal, depending as well if they go maybe for you know or if they keep Bomer at the next pro level more regularly and they get another backup to be seen. I think there's benefits to both because Bomer's still at a good age. Raposo is the big one again, huge that they had his option. Good that he's back. Because either way, I think he showed that he's the kind of depth guy you want because he'll he's not going to get you know turned off or frustrated by getting relegated. He's going to be someone, if you take away his spot, he's going to battle to earn it. He showed a real good hunger over the last two years. You know, after the first few, it felt like somewhere, you know, already writing him off or wondering, okay, is he going to make that step from, you know, or he was our third sub of the year for like, what, three years? Because he just couldn't get off the bench. Um, but he showed them, look, you give him a chance, he can become a starter uh, or depth. And I think that's huge because, man, if he's depth, that you're doing something right. And as, as he showed, I think he can also um do a job as well as a starter when asked so not much to say simon betcher look he's domestic it's depth um we'll see as we mentioned i i I again believe that depending on how uh things shake up or a dp striker of the right profile can make a lot of sense but having betcher's depth won't hurt and then as for levante johnson as well good depth um domestic he showed well in his in, in his time there. He'll be good for Canadian Championship. He'll be good for other stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I, honestly, those four decisions were all pretty no-brainers. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have a ton to add there other than, I mean, I don't know this intimately enough, but I'm assuming that the reason the Whitecaps had an option for Raposo is like some weird mechanism in that uh, Adidas next-gen contract. That, that maybe isn't available to like your, your standard Academy signing. Um, and then the other thing was about Simon Betcher. I think, I think he's on something really cheap, like 65, 70 K a year. So I think that, I think the value is really good there. Um, and so, you know, as, as much as I think maybe a 25 year old American who yes, had his had his heater for Vancouver, but probably doesn't have, you know, isn't maxing out that potential as a depth striker. I understand it when you frame it in that way. Um, Levante obviously showed off his versatility this season. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think still has some room to grow, even though he's 24. And uh, in, in terms of Bomer, it'll be, it'll be interesting. He's shown really nicely the couple times he's how to look at the MLS level. Uh, seems to be rounding out some of that decision-making uh, non-shot stopping areas of his game that needed some work. So I, I feel like if you're Vancouver, you're confident with Bomer as your backup going into next season, unless you decide that you want to bring in someone to challenge Yoyotako. I, I don't think they're going to do that, but if they do, obviously that changes things for Bomer a little bit. Yeah, uh, pretty much sums it up. And as for uh, Raposo, it looks like it is three plus two for generation Adidas contract. So I don't know what, uh, three uh, typically. So we'll, is that we'll the second of the second option year? Is he already through that? Is this year six for Raposo? He was drafted uh, ahead of the 2020 season, 2020, 2021, 2022 are his three guaranteed. And I guess 2023 was his first option. Now 2024 will be a second option year. So I guess we all, all had the math wrong on that or for whatever reason thought it was three plus one. So it's good to know that, because generation adidas you save money on the cap as well 
um, if I'm not mistaken. Even, so even though the cash number is a bit higher, right? Like you have to, I think you're paying those guys a hundred K in cash when you're paying normal rookies 70 to 80, but you do, you do say that none, is it none of it counted against the cap? It's like, well, he goes supplemental roster. So nothing counts against the cap and his like actual salary things like 60 K or something like that. It's, it's, it's interesting, but basically cost the team nothing. Um, uh, so yeah, I'd say no brainer and good, good on that front. Otherwise quickly going over the next blurbs. Um, I mean, Russell Tybert, we, we have to think the writing's on the wall, right? We've been hearing it for a while. And then the way the club acted, the way the club's been sort of projecting publicly, uh, the 300 matches thing, the fact that he wasn't dressed, I, I know he was dealing with some injury stuff as well, but it, it just feels like this is the end for Russell Tybert in Vancouver. That's, that's at least where the wind seems to be blowing at the moment. Yeah, I think the, the way I'd read it is, look, I think it would make sense for Tybert to come back just in the sense that, look, he's been here for a long time. Um, he is still the club captain. And I don't even think for for Tybert, it'll, it'll probably be weird to imagine the thought of leaving. But the way I, what I think from the Whitecaps perspective, it was just never going to happen at 400, 500K. I think that was always the big, bigger issue with Tybert. I think, you know, it, was so, it wasn't so much, oh, t- uh, Tybert should go because you know this or that I think it was always more at 500k you, you're better off maybe getting some you know a Sean Young in the CPL or getting a you know even taking a punt on someone a bit older like a Manny Aparicio but knowing that you won't you know you'll be paying him 100 150k um, versus Tybert at 450k so yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens I imagine the Whitecaps would like to have him back and maybe they'll table him something a little more you know, on the lower end, maybe something like 100, 150, 200 K. And then I guess we'll see if Tybert accepts that or if he moves on and goes CPL or goes somewhere else in MLS. Cause I imagine maybe some teams in MLS will, will want that experience. Um, or, you know, we'll, we'll see if this is indeed the end. Cause there, there was that rumbling that we saw out there. And I mean, we'll see Tybert still like, he's not old. Right. So I, I I'd find it hard to, to believe he, he hangs things up this early, but I think that's probably where the holdup is that I'm sure the Whitecaps will want to have him back and are going to propose him a number. It's just a matter of what will Tybert think? Like, will he think he can get more elsewhere? Like if he likes that sort of, like, you know, that we'll, we'll see what those sort of negotiations end up looking like. Right. What's going to be really, really annoying is if he resigns, we're going to have to wait like half the season to see what his actual number is. Hey, that's the beauty of MLS, right? Your cotton mystery of, uh, how much does this player cost until May when they do the MLSPA roster so that, release? Yeah, so that's that's one we can continue to monitor. One, though, Alex, similar position uh, that I will be monitoring closely is Seb Berhalter. This has been an interesting one that he was, I think, again, because he's not a Vancouver Academy prospect. He's not a Vancouver draft pick. He's not a, um, you know, a homegrown, anything like that. Sember Halter is a free agent upcoming. So this is one where the club says they're in talks at the moment, but uh, I don't know about you, Alex. I would be, I would be pretty upset if they didn't bring Sember Halter back because uh, you know, this one feels like we just talked about Russell Tybert. If you needed to spend two, 300 K, this is somewhere where uh, as a depth midfielder, I think Burhalter is a great option. 
uh, showed that he can be the the Kubas understudy in, in the best possible way this season. Showed off a little bit of capability. I mean, I don't want everyone getting thrown out at fullback, but he was actually pretty good at fullback the couple times he played. So uh, to me, this is one they they definitely need to get done. And I'd be I'd be pretty disappointed if they they found a way to fumble the bag here. It's a no-brainer, I'd say, really, right? It's a no-brainer. Really, the only thing I wonder for Burhalter if he thinks maybe if he wasn't behind one of the top sixes in Kubas, if he could start elsewhere. So maybe I wonder if that's kind of maybe why there hasn't been a deal already. Because I think from the Whitecaps, it's a no-brainer. Bring him back, have him as depth. Um, but, hey, I guess if there is – I mean, again, that's that's why I'd say there's a hold-up. I'd say it's a no-brainer. The only thing is if maybe there is that sentiment that he could go start elsewhere – that's not a, the worst thing in the world as well, because I think you could probably get decent trade value. Cause you'd be like, look, he's young, he's domestic, et cetera. But I'd say keep him right. Like you it's hard. Six depth doesn't always, you know, number sixes don't exactly grow on trees. Although I suppose if worse, you could always find a, a new understudy in the CPL or something and give him a shot. But uh Berhalter's here. He's to me, he's not, he's not international. I'd say that one uh, makes pretty, pretty good sense to me. So We'll see what happens there. Otherwise, the other two big ones, of course, Lorea and Hoylet. I mean, we kind of talked about it a few weeks ago, I think, on how we kind of felt on that situation. Look, for me, it doesn't really change. Lorea makes sense at the right number. That's kind of the continued feel I have. So I think it's if you can bring him in under that TAM threshold, yeah, you can like and imagine the flexibility you can have. You can get a DP8, you can get a DP striker, right? Or you can like there's so much you can do if you bring him in at that right number. And I guess of course everything changes because technically if they do bring in a fourth DP, but it can make sense to make him that DP. But even then, like if man, if they bring in a fourth DP and you still get him in under Tam, you can get a DP striker and a DP number eight, or you can get a DP center back, like we've also floated about as an option, right? If the White Caps want to fix some of those issues there. So for Larea again, we'll, we'll really have to see how Nottingham Forest plays ball on this, especially with the amount of struggling teams in the Premier League. And for good measure, they do that, you know, again, shout out to all my poor Everton fans out there. That was ridiculous that they got this uh, 10 point deduction. So now, you know, maybe Everton might not get, get thrown. They got thrown right back into that relegation miss. So I don't think Forrest is going down. And I think if that, if it's clear, they're staying up, it would make no sense for them to, to really keep Larray around. Cause I could get it if they go down, you know, with how the wages work, especially the way they operate and they signed all these, like, what was it? Like the 20 players they signed that before their premier league season that bloated their squad, all of them are on high wages they'll have to cut a lot of those guys loose if they were to go down and all of a sudden having guys like Larray, who's already like familiar with the team at a good price would make sense for the championship. But as long as it doesn't look like that's going to happen, I think it would make sense for both parties to be like, all right, get Larray off the books of Forrest if they're staying up and, you know, for the Whitecaps, get him at a price that's not DP. But uh, I feel like that's the only real, real big holdup in that one. Yeah, I, I really, I feel like we've talked about Lorea a lot, so I don't have a ton to add there. Um, the only interesting thing, I guess, in terms of Junior Hoylet is the the Whitecaps getting involved on Twitter, retweeting uh, something about Hoylet from the Canadian men's national team, which just, you know, makes you think, would they be putting out Junior Hoylet content if there wasn't at least some intent to bring him back? Um, as we talked about, I mean, for the right price and a depth role, 
okay, sure. I, I think I wonder at this age, you know, does does that stand in the way of some young guys coming up from the second team? But uh, as we're going to talk about here upcoming, they they churned a bunch of players from the second team roster. So uh, that's an interesting conversation as well. Uh, finally, Alex, I mean, on the, well, on the say, oh, go just, ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I'll just say just to hop on Hoyland. It's again, what we said, selfishly love to have him back just in terms of good player fun to watch those again, free kicks that we those, saw in the twitter uh, video those, exactly those set pieces the the, the class etc that he brings but again right price and you do have to wonder if it gets in the way of the development of the likes of antoine kuplin but also as we've seen with someone like habibula getting let go it also can make sense where number 10s they're just they're a funny beast in the sense that Sometimes the best way to develop as an attacker, number 10, maybe it is to go to a CPL or maybe go elsewhere and then get them a little later in their careers. Because sometimes as a number 10, like Ryan Gall had said himself, right? Like he's really found the best version of himself as he's gotten older because it's a position of maturity. So maybe I wonder if they'll be like, ah, you know what, maybe it makes sense to to get a hoy lead and uh, get someone proven. So I do wonder if maybe this Habibula letting go kind of is a sign of them being like, all right, well, maybe we bring Hoylet back and kind of be like to Kuplin, like, all right, if you can beat out Hoylet and et cetera. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like the Habibula letting go maybe paints a positive sign of, of Hoylet returning. Certainly. And the, and the fact that, I mean, we're going to dive into it, but the fact that Coopland is not re-signed for next season, it's still the talks are ongoing. So there's still a question mark there. So I, I, it does feel like the wind is blowing in a direction where Junior Hoylet might be back in Vancouver um, with the first team next season. Okay, finally, in terms of first team specific roster moves, I mean, these are not moves, so to speak, but uh, just monitoring current situations. As we mentioned off the type, top, pardon me, Kyle Alexandre, that transfer, the purchase option is all but finalized. Uh, as Ashley Schuster kind of explained, all the objectives, all the things that needed to be hit for that purchase option to be uh, fulfilled, Ohio's hit all those markers. So um, that makes the sale all but official. But I think until the turn of the year, that's that's when the loan actually ends and the purchase option would kick in. A- and then with Deber Caicedo, I think the club's kind of holding tight at the moment because uh, similar to Kyle, there is a purchase option, but uh, you, this is a loan that doesn't end until uh, the summer transfer window next year. So that's, you know, August, 2024. So at this point, I, I, Daber is unlikely, I would say to be with the club next season. Uh, maybe if, if everything falls one way, he comes back for a playoff push, but I've, but that one's just kind of so far in the distance at the moment that I, I think the club has more pressing issues to deal with. So uh, no real major updates on that front other than, you know, Kayo, maybe, maybe there might be a Brazilian bidding war, but at this point though, that won't really have anything to do uh, with the white caps. What, what is an interesting one just in terms of like finances for the club is if Kayo that sale goes through, if Alfonso Davies were to be moved if Daber's purchase option gets picked up, this does potentially, you know, stock the coffers a little bit for the white caps, especially if they're going to go out, as you mentioned, Alex, and look for a designated striker, look for a designated midfielder. If there is an additional DP roster spot that opens up, 
moving some of these guys on who have been in limbo or just, you know, cashing in on some more Fonzie money would certainly be helpful uh, as they go out and look to make some, some, you know, high quality acquisitions. Yeah, what a funny world where a piece of Real Madrid business could end up uh, helping the white cap significantly. For, I'm sure one for one time people were like Florentino Perez, you know, <laughs> Davies, he's a hundred fifty million dollar player. Get that, get that sweet cash in. Um, but no, I mean, well, yeah, you could even add again. I just we'll, we'll see where he develop uh, what happens. But man, someone like Pedro Vite as well with how good he's been and the Ecuador call up last year. And also the fact that, you know, he hasn't fully found a spot in Vanny's system. I also wonder if he could be someone that moves on to stock the coffers a bit and allow you to get another U22 player along with the DPs. Um, and of course, we'll see how, how Ali Ahmed's development continues. The fact that he gets that, that as we, you know, hoped finally after the Gold Cup, his strong Gold Cup, we wondered if you'd break into the senior team, he, uh, first team, and he has. He's been called up, right, for this camp. And man, if he plays against Jamaica and does well, especially like with Jamaica tie, if you think about it, it could be huge because with all the Premier League players on Jamaica and, you know, all the players on Canada, that's a showcase. And if Ahmed does well, all of a sudden, I'm sure it won't be long um, before his name gets thrown into uh, into discussion. So, yeah, look, the Whitecaps could get a good influx of cash and then I guess it'll be up to them to how they use it. But on that note, of course, the first team roster news was taken care of. Not many surprises there. Out of nowhere, today, day of recording, the Whitecaps, too, also made some roster news. Um, so just rolling through it, Finn Linder and Jay Herdman are back. The pair of New Zealand um, folks. So uh, and I'm sure uh, Caleb Wilkins uh, well, is, is cheering a, a nice Kiwi cheer from over, uh, over there in New Zealand for the, the Kiwi boys. But no, nah, jokes aside, it was... That one makes sense. They're young. They both they they both went to the U twenty World Cup. I know Herdman did right, and because he scored that screamer for New Zealand at the U twenty World Cup. So good for them. They're also both Canadian as well. So don't don't forget that. Um, otherwise, um, they decline options, and we'll lead off with this off the top. So I'll circle back to this because it kind of feels like a first team roster uh, decision. But for whatever reason, it was hidden with the second team decisions. But that kind of just feels like it sums up his Whitecaps tenure. And we can talk about why that's frustrating. But Krifa Yao, his option is officially declined after it was announced he was in negotiations. Um, Gio Aguilar was declined. Malcolm Johnson was declined. Brother of Alistair, of course. And then Glor Amanda, the former Whitecap, the second stint just wasn't. Um, they felt that it wasn't enough to get a first team deal. Otherwise, uh, Lucas Dasovich, um, Simon Massey, Elijah Ba, Vasco Fry, Joe Hansen, all out of contract of those. I mean, the Vasco Fry one, that's big news for Vancouver uh, FC because they announced that they were in negotiations with him. This pretty much clears the way for him to sign as a free agent. So good news is for Vasco Fry appreciators. Uh, like like Sam, of course, the OG Sam's the, the the OG fan club member. Um, he'll he'll still be in local waters. As for the rest, we'll see where they end up. And then Josh Way in Decala uh, remains in talks, as does Act uh, Antoine Couplin. But I guess Sam, just to start before we dive into some of the more nitty gritty, I mean, the Karifa Yao situation. Just uh, man, what a what a what a frustrating way to end what could have been. Uh, you know, an acquisition with, with with so much potential at the time it was announced. It feels like, 
Yeah, well, uh, it's interesting because uh, this kind of, this continues the trend, I think, of some promising CPL players. That the few CPL players that the Vancouver Whitecaps have brought in, uh, a lot of them have just fizzled out, right? I mean, you, you brought in Easton and Garo to the next pro team that really didn't lead to anything. Lowell right so far has been very hit and miss uh, in his WFC two career. And then Karifa Yao, I mean, coming off, you know, monster CPL campaign. There was talk that, you know, he could fight for a starting role in Vancouver. Vanny Sartini was heaping his praise on Karifa in the preseason, but um, especially when they, you know, they were flirting with some European free agent options and they, they didn't pursue those. It made you think, oh, maybe they're really high on Karifa Yao. Then you get into the actual season and, you know, other than a, a cup of coffee in uh, CONCACAF Champions League, we can still call it that because it was last season, just really didn't get any minutes. Goes back to the second team, doesn't really get many minutes there. And then unfortunately, you know, the, the showings that Karifa actually had really with both the first team and the, and the second team weren't very good in big part because he simply didn't play a lot. Um, now, you know, for people listening to the show, I'll certainly welcome you to, to question, you know, was Karifi Yao, is Karifi Yao a, a first team quality player for an MLS side? I, I think that's still undecided. We don't know. Right. I, I know the guy, sitting across from me proverbially here in the in the podcast <laughs> thinks the potential is there i'm perhaps slightly more skeptical than alex but I, I can't say definitively and i think that's kind of the problem right isn't it alex that we just okay you brought karifa in because you thought he might be an mls contributor and after a season you still don't know because you never really found out and now you're moving on from the player and i, I think that has to be no matter how confident you feel in the end, the result, maybe, you know, if you're Axel Schuster, Vane Sartini, you're okay. It didn't work. You're happy to move on. But I think that's, it's disappointing. We didn't get a chance to see what Karifa could have been for this team. Yeah. Look, I mean, all, uh, in terms of, of Karifa, yeah, look, I'll hold my hand up. If, you know, indeed in four, five, six years, he maybe he fizzles out or he gets chances elsewhere and he doesn't do well. That's the nature of the game, right? Just sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, so in terms of Kriyao itself, it'll be seen, right? The the jury will be out on on that one. I think the biggest frustration is kind of what was the point of this whole year? I think, and that's kind of you don't want that with someone, especially because again, the big another big frustration with Kriyao is like, oh, if you're the White Cap, say you want to sign. You sign Yao thinking, okay, let's get the next Joel Waterman, the next Lucas McNaughton. Lucas McNaughton, like, he, he, when he was Kree for Yao's age, he was finishing up time at University of Toronto before heading into, you know, Pacific for their inaugural season. Guys, like Joel Waterman at this age as well was, you know, I think he was still also at Trinity Western University. So just first of all, the fact that Kree for Yao is, is still at a, a very young, like, young age for center backs, Again, center backs and goalkeepers, just because someone like Waterman at this Waterman and McNaughton at this age were playing U Sports soccer and then went to CPL, had a couple years, thrived, and now are MLS contributors, uh, borderline national team players. It's all that. So, so I think the fact as well that it's 
that they're giving up this young on on Krufa Yao, you, you're kind of like, okay. And I think, again, the biggest thing for me is that this is also an age where for center backs and for players, you need minutes. And Karifa Yao this year had 794 minutes across everything. This isn't 794 first team minutes. This isn't 794, you know, this is 794 minutes, including games with the second team. That's what, like eight games? That's just, frankly, that's un- unfortunately. And all I was going to say just for context is the majority of those minutes with the first team were sort of like garbage minutes where it was either a, a very weak first team roster or it was in a scenario where the Whitecaps were just kind of throwing any team out there. So, you know, even I think you look at you look at those minutes and the amount of those that were actually valuable from like a true evaluation perspective is, is far lower than that. Now. Yeah, that's it. It's a 794 minutes and I'm just going through right now. Shout out to the always reliable transfer marked in terms of first team minutes. There was 101 minutes in the champions league. So 90 away to rail Espana, 11 at home. Um, there was 55 minutes in LA where he actually looked quite good in leagues cup. Um, so that, that was, you know, one where we thought he could turn the corner after that. I think that was actually his last uh, first team opportunity of the year. Unfortunately enough, cruel nature of the game. You finally have a good first team performance and you get a uh, shuttered out to oblivion in MLS 34 game season plus two playoff games. Crucial played a total of one minute across those 36 MLS games they played this year. Uh, and then you go into the Canadian championship again, the Canadian championship. Remember their journey was York United, Pacific FC and his former club in CF Montreal in the final. He played a grand total of eight minutes across those games. Uh, you wonder again if uh, if this guy was dominating CPL a year ago, why not throw him in for a 90 against a York or a 90 against a Pacific? So yeah, that was his first team minutes. And then otherwise, he got um, 630 minutes in MLS Next Pro. So he got seven 90s um, across the whole season. So yeah, a hundred basically around 140 minutes was his first team accumulation for the year. That's just that's something where you're kind of like, what are you doing here? Because look, I think there's a few ways you could have approached this. You sign him. You know what? At his age, like I mentioned, like again, his age for a center back, yeah, he's you know maybe 23. You you wonder, okay, you're at an age where you start to figure things out, and maybe you know you're a bit of a finished product. But again, I'll I'll stick with the McNaughton and the the Waterman examples because it shows that development can take time. Send him to a CPL for another season. Sign him and loan him back. Be like, all right, you did it. You had two good seasons in the CPL. Make it a third. Go out, dominate, really be that guy. Take that seasoning, go on. If not, you brought him into your system. What was, you know, why not just make him a second team regular, right? If he, if he's, if you, you knew you were going to, he was going to be someone that only gets 130 minutes of first team, why not get him 1,500, 2,000 minutes of MLS Next Pro? Um, because a fun fact, he actually never played back-to-back games in MLS Next Pro. Um, so you, you know how tough that is for players. Players are rhythm, cre- creatures of rhythm, habit, et cetera, like they always say. It helps when you run six 90s in a row, right? Like if those seven 90s he played were all in a seven-game span for him to get confidence and momentum, that would have helped more than – you play a 90 and then you don't play for two weeks and you play another 90, then you don't play for a month and you play a 90 and you just, you kind of get thrown in this cycle of nothingness. So I, I, if, if they want to have him in a system, make him a second team regular 
Um, and if not, give him more first team opportunities. So all that to say, I think it just you look back and you're kind of like, at this point, he would have been better off just not being signed at all and getting another season in the CPL and then be like, okay, I had if he has a great season, but like, I've had three good seasons in the CPL, sign me. Because now you're just kind of at an awkward point where now he's had this year and you know, he goes back to CPL or, or he goes elsewhere. Like it's just going to be a battle to get his confidence back, to get his form back. And it was kind of like, for what? It's not like you sh- shredded his confidence playing him six games in a row in MLS and he clearly wasn't the level. And like, okay, fair enough. You're kind of left to a point where you didn't really evaluate much of him at the MLS level. He played one minute of MLS soccer this year. Like that's not, no, it's never enough. So I don't know that the whole situation for me isn't so much crew for yeah, the player. Cause that, that's the whole other story that we'll figure out over the next few years, but just more of the handling of it. Cause really it did him no favors and did the team no favors. Cause at that point, you would have been better off just giving maybe some of those minutes to Matteo Campania or someone else within your system, some or uh, like sorry, Finland or someone that they clearly rate higher or you know rate highly uh, for good reason at his age. Yeah, um, I, I don't know how much I have to add other than the one thing I pick up on is you know some of those nineties at the at the next pro level were after, as you mentioned, you know he he had that one decent showing against LA and League Cup and then never saw the first team again. And I think, you know, some of those minutes that he played and didn't look great in the second half of the season for the next pro side, that's with the mentality of, man, I haven't had a shot at the first team level. And isn't this frustrating? And that that has to affect the way you play, the way you perform. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a real shame. I mean, I, I kind of, I knew that he never had a look in an MLS league match, but I hearing the one minute stat is actually quite comical. Um, yeah. As, as you, as you put really well, it, the jury is still out on Karifa, the player, but I think what's certain is that the handling of that situation was not ideal. You either don't sign him. If you're not interested, you sign him and commit to him being a, fixture of the second team until you believe he's ready to make that step or if you bring him into the first team you actually give him legitimate first team minutes with an opportunity to prove himself and they they kind of didn't do any of those three options they they flirted between those three options without committing to a single strategy so i hope if the vancouver whitecaps do happen to take a shot on a a guy who has performed really well in the canadian premier league this off season, I hope they pick one of those strategies. They, they either commit to this where you're going to be a core of the second team and you'll, you'll come up to the first team when you're ready, or they bring a guy in, say it's a Sean Young from Pacific. Who's going to be the, you know, the heir to Russell Tybert's throne. You can't play him 215 minutes at the first team level. If you bring someone like that and you have to let them play meaningful minutes in the Canadian championship, give the meaningful cameos off the bench in MLS matches. Otherwise, you know, when these players are 23, 24, and they need to be making steps in their development, uh, they're going to miss the boat if you don't give them those opportunities. And, and as you, you mentioned, Alex, I mean, for the, the individual players, it's a, you're doing them a real disservice. If you, you set them back a year in their development, maybe multiple years in their development by having a dud, a dud season a hundred percent and uh the also the frustrating thing i'll add with yao it's again from the first team perspective it's also kind of 
funny as well because there's chances to give him an opportunity. We mentioned the aerial duel problem all year long. Again, I, I actually never looked at this. I was just curious. Just for fun, I blindly just, while you were mentioning, I looked at Krufa Yao's aerial numbers in the CPL in 2021. So I guess he would have been like, um, he would have been 21, 20. In his first pro season, he won 68% of his aerial duels, which at the time was good for seventh in all of the CPL. Um, so that's pretty good. And then for good measure, in his second year, he won 70% of his aerial duels. And uh, that was good for sixth in all of the CPL as well. And um, so, yeah, that's also the, the the thing as well that, all right, you, you could ex- you could understand the first team thing if just, you know, the center backs in front of them were like, I don't know, you, you, you know, you're getting clean sheets every week. The numbers are, are good. You're not having any sort of issues. But as we mentioned, aerial set pieces were a problem all year long. Wide balls were a problem all year long. Krifayao comes in with the pedigree of someone who's also was good aerially in the CPL. Um, you know, you, there's a, that that also adds to the frustration that there could have been a first team opportunity of okay, you're struggling in defensively. Why not throw him in and see what he can do at the MLS level for a game if he can translate those numbers? But anyways, enough on that. We'll see where, of course, Krifayao ends up now. I'm sure if he chooses to return the CPL, I have no shortage of suitors there because he was pretty darn good at that level for two seasons. Um, if not, you wonder if he'll maybe try his luck at the USL or somewhere else, maybe in MLS because he is eligible for a re-entry draft. So maybe another team will will give him a punt. Um, like, a who knows, a Toronto, maybe they, they want to, you know, get some center back options or somewhere else in MLS because as a homegrown, I think he wouldn't count as an international in the States because he's young enough uh, with that rule being grandfathered in. So we'll see where he ends up. But yeah, like you mentioned, the next one that that's brought in, it's a good, it's a good lesson, right? Like if you're, if you're bringing these guys in at a certain point, um, it's important to have a plan because uh, if not, you're, you kind of get stuck in this limbo where that ends up being a lost year for everyone. And uh, you know, that could have been a roster spot for the caps. That could have been a year of development for, for Yao. And now you're kind of caught in no man's land, but terms of the others um i mean we mentioned finlander and jay herdman not much to say for herdman he's always shown great glimpses um just had a lot of injuries this year so it'll be good just to get him healthy on the field next year um it's with happy bullet gone that frees up a spot for herdman to play higher up the field because i know at times with all the log jam when he was playing he's playing as more of an eight and he seems to project as more of a creative player in the final third um someone who can score and be a bit of a dual threat so hopefully he just stays healthy and maybe that Habibula being gone will free up that opportunity for him to do that as for Finlander he looks like an interesting prospect I use what only 19 um like you mentioned dual dual passport center back companion being gone maybe he ends up being a bit more of the guy in this 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 back three as well and uh especially with there being going to be so much turnover I think as of just for context as of now there are currently nine players under contract for Whitecaps FC2. Of course, you have to remember guys like Max Anker, who are on first-team deals, are all but guaranteed to end up with the second team. But uh, that just gives you an idea of the scope of opportunity that will be available next year. Absolutely. I mean, both these guys dealt with injuries this season. Just the volume of minutes was not as high as you would want. Um, and, and I think, as you mentioned, you know, the Whitecaps have kind of cleared the way for these guys to earn more second team minutes to be uh, week in week out starters next year. I think that's what's on the, on the table for both these guys. 
Linder in particular, I think they really value as a center back prospect. So uh, that's going to be interesting to track. Um, and Linder's numbers were really, really good in the, the very small amount that he played. So, uh, yeah, those, those will be fun to watch next season, hopefully a, a core part of the second team. Um, and then obviously, so we talked about Yao, but um, the, the rest of the declined options we can kind of get into now. Um, Gio Aguilar, I think, you know, a lot of this is going to be essentially quoting our, our conversations we had with Caleb Wilkins earlier in the season. Uh, Gio's a, a useful USL player, but I think at his age, the fact he's international, there's just, it's not a roster fit at the next pro level anymore. Uh, that's no slight on him as a player. We wondered what the value was in that draft pick when they made it. Uh, but anyways, that's, you know, late round draft picks in the MLS. We don't need to get into that in too much detail. Speaking of MLS, uh, well, it wasn't a draft selection for Vancouver, but a, but a recent draft selection, Malcolm Johnson. Unfortunately, just it just didn't work out with the second team. He just never seemed to find a permanent place and, and didn't seem to have much impact um, when, when he played. I wonder if that's one where the Canadian Premier League is a fit or you know where, where he would look to go. And then Guara Amanda as well. Did some scoring at the next pro level, but I think at 24... With, with as much international experience as he had, the Whitecaps were probably looking for a much higher goal-scoring rate. They were imagining in a best-case scenario that he would light things up and maybe you know be an outside shot at a first-team opportunity. That didn't really come to pass, and so they've, they've moved on there. So those are, uh, those are the three older guys in the next pro system that the club's now moved on from. Alex, just uh, maybe your rapid-fire thoughts on those three. Yeah, for Aguilar, he'll make a lot of sense in a USL team as an American. And if not, we'll we'll see, right? If he also could crack it as an MLS team, I think just for the Whitecaps, didn't really make sense because it's hard to see first team minutes. And at that point at his age and, you know, as an older American player, you best serve just giving, you know, young Canadian option, be it within the CPL or elsewhere. So that one just makes sense for both parties. As for Malcolm Johnston, at his age, I think he's already almost 24 or is 24. Um, so that one was just like, he didn't show enough. Fair enough. And I think it's going to be interesting. I think Johnson's kind of going to be a tier of players that we're going to see, um, like Canadian seniors, for example. I think we're going to see a lot of them go to CPL now with the new uh, super draft rules where they're allowing juniors and freshmen or whatever is the new rule. It's like they're allowing like juniors and um what's the, the other one uh, sophomores get drafted um straight out of mls like they basically expanded the eligibility because more was pretty much like seniors get drafted if not like you have to be generation adidas to not get drafted as a senior so i think basically with all these rules opening up mls teams are naturally going to draft younger because why take a punt on a 24 year old when you can take a punt on a 20 year old right like that's just how teams are so I think someone like Johnston, you're going to see a lot more of that, especially seeing the success of guys like Mo Omar and Dan Nimick deciding to just forego MLS as draft picks and going to CPL and dominating. It almost is better for you just because you're kind of at an age where like Johnston, where he came in, he had to be a guy right away. And he still has to remember this is his first pro season. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you need time to find your feet. Um, so I'm sure a guy like Johnson will end up in, a, in in CPL or something like that and could do a, you know, allow him that chance to to find his feet as a professional because despite his age, he doesn't have much professional 
higher. And like, you know, for every Levante Johnson who at 24 first pro season quickly finds his feet, it's not the case for everyone. And as for Gloria Mandayal, it'll be interesting again. Um, where does he end up with the Canadian passport? The fact that he came home from Europe, you wonder if he'll probably uh, stay in the CPL or maybe who knows, maybe he tries his luck somewhere over there again with the connections he made. But uh, I think those ones make sense, especially given all of their age profiles that, you know, at the second team, it's good to have some veteran guys to to insulate, but also, you know, you got to, you, you want to find younger guys who can give you more of a first team impact long-term and with, it feels like, yeah, unless your guys like Levante Johnson are hitting right away in year one, it's, uh, you know, it, it can be sometimes hard to justify giving some of the older guys years to to find their feet when maybe they're best served finding that full-fledged professionals in the CPL. And who knows, maybe down the road, that'll be what helps them. Yeah, and then just moving on here, we've got the, the out-of-contract players at the uh, next pro level, and that's uh, Lucas Dasvich. Simon Mazzi, Elage Ba, Vasco Fry. Now we already talked about, I think that one, Vancouver FC is the natural fit there, and that's what's likely to happen. And then Joe Hansen as well. And I think for for the rest of those outside Fry, um, it's just because there, there wasn't a long-term fit there at the next pro level. They weren't necessarily uh, you know, providing the the value the club was looking for at the next pro level, and certainly not to the level where they they saw a massive jump or, or opportunity there to uh, to be a first teamer in a couple seasons. Elaj Baz may be the one where he he seemed to have some nice showings early on in the season um, for the next pro team, but kind of tapered off as the year went on. He's just nineteen, so I think that's one where you you sort of wonder. Or I think he might have been eighteen at the start of the season, so. Uh, you know, he's one of the younger guys, and I think that that's that's one that's maybe slightly surprising, but for the rest, kind of like the above declined options, it, it makes sense for the most part. Yeah, well, Fry will go straight to CPL, so that'll be good for him. Otherwise, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the rest with like a Lucas Dazovich, for example, because um, he's only 20, um, although he's an 02, so he's about to turn 21. That could hurt him just for CPL because he's not a U21. So he's going to, you know, that, that could, uh, we'll see what happens with, with him. Um, but as a, a young center back, you know, again, like we, we always say, those positions can take time to to mature. Ditto with Simone Massey, I think it's a similar boat, similar age, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Elijah Ba is the interesting one. But again, with his age, um, that's going to help him with uh, with the chance to, to make a CPL team, for example, because again, he can be a young fullback and go develop. Uh, he's still just 19. Ditto with Joe Hansen, he's 20. So, and he's still U- eligible for U21 minutes. So he could also make sense as like a depth striker punt for a CPL team because he showed flashes, but just feels like he didn't have that consistency that they wanted at the the second team level. So yeah, I think there's some definitely some interesting names that if your CPL team is looking out to, to shore out your roster and especially in the case of Hanson and Ba get some U21 minutes, same way with Habibula, Campania off the top. Um, those all seem like some interesting option, uh, options of guys who have pro experience, who've shown things at the pro level. Ba in particular, someone who, um, he, he, he's someone where he has uh, good awareness going forward, good tools. I feel like it's someone, if you get him in the right coaching, the right environment, I think, for example, one that would make a fit that would make a lot of sense is Halifax, because I'm not sure 
Uh, we'll see if Zachary Fernandez ends up staying after this year, but he seems like someone there's been rumblings that he could have interest from Europe, from MLS. He's had a couple good seasons in the CPL. If he moves on, I think uh, someone like Elaj Bach could be a great project at that right back position for, for uh, Patrice Geyser to, to work on. So there could definitely be fits like that. And we'll see uh, across the league as, as well. There'll be a few other fullback spots and, yeah, did it with Johansson. There's always te- teams are always looking for for striker depth, especially those who can provide you 21 minutes. Okay, and then rounding out WFC two, you've got those still in talks. So that's uh, Ntkala and then Antoine Coupland. Um, obviously, Coupland, you know, we we saw a lot more of certainly the the highlight real stuff, um, and, and had some some goal and assist contributions. I think that's one where I'm imagining maybe Coupland's, you know, knocking around some some European academies and stuff like that, seeing what opportunities are out there, and maybe they're just waiting to see what the right fit is. I assume these are both players. I think that they showed enough promise that uh, the Whitecaps would want to bring both of them back next year and and give them more second team minutes, and and you know maybe maybe someone like a Coupland who we talked about a bunch on the show. Is there poised if um, you know when Junior Hoylet steps away that that he could be the guy to to step in? But uh, yeah, we'll continue to monitor those situations. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see. I think it makes sense for Kuplin and into into Cal as well. Uh, they both showed a lot of promise. They're still young. We'll see how the negotiations go, but I think those ones are uh, pretty no pretty much no brainers. So yeah, that's the state of. Um, both rosters for the Whitecaps first team. Not a lot of work to be done, really. As we mentioned, this, this offseason is going to be more surgical, right? It's around the edges. It's making sure you you you, you take out the right pieces, you bring in the right ones. Um, and for the second team, um, I'm very curious to see how they round out their roster, especially with Canadians. Because it feels like what's fascinating as well of, of those nine players that are there. I mean, four of them are the... Uh, are that that international crew, or three of them, I guess, are the international crew of Dembo, Saitakan, Malik Meri, and Cipran Kashwele that we just didn't see because of the visa issues and et cetera. Um, so it'll be exciting to see them. But, man, it'll be interesting to see if they can find a few CPL guys maybe worth taking a punt on or graduating some academy players. Because, of course, there's a few interesting players. Jivon Badwal showed well in a few in some stints for the second team out of the academy. He had a good U17 World Cup, all things considered, despite Canada's struggles. Uh, I know there's a few other kids in that age group, like Kyler Vojvodich, Liam McKenzie as well, who were in the U17 level, who could also potentially get a look up with the uh, the second team. And of course, we'll see some first team guys probably get sent down over the course of the year, like the the likes of Max Anchor um, uh, among. Others. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, they handle the business with both teams. But yeah, again, really the the if anything, the, the more the more fun offseason could be with the second team if they get they go after some of the interesting players. And I mean, just for an idea of who they might look at, I implore you to to head on to the third sub uh ca uh and, and read Caleb Wilkins' latest piece. I'm pretty sure it's his latest. He's been writing some interesting ones lately, but his Whitecaps FC2 specific piece where he looked at some uh, CPL guys who could do a job in in the second team. He threw out some very interesting names. So I implore you to read that if you want an idea of who some of those names that they could look at would make sense. Yeah, the one guy we forgot to mention as well, but he got his contract 
exercised is Mikhail Gersomenikov, who is sort of when you're talking about those guys graduating from the academy system, that's the name that came to mind. So he'll be part of the second team picture, probably, I think, like a Finlander, one of the guys you're hoping to rely on next season, not just someone who drops in for a cup of coffee at the next pro level, but really um, maybe makes an impact and takes that next step in the development. Okay, to round out the the back end of the show here, we heard from Vanny Sartini and Axel Schuster a couple times following the end of the season. And I think there were some some good little tidbits. In one sense, maybe not a lot of, you know, big news dumps, um, no, no bombs being dropped. But at the same time, I think some really good insights in terms of where this team is looking next season. So Diving into that, I mean, the first one right off the bat that stood out to me and I think is interesting because of these roster moves that have now come out, but it's obvious that they, as much as the second team is about graduating players to the first team, I think it's clear as well that they took a sober look at that second team the way that the second half of the season, once they lost JC and Gondo um, and Levante Johnson, that the performances fell off a cliff and they, they took that to heart because they've made a lot of roster moves. They're obviously recycling, bringing in new faces for the second team going forward in 2024. So I think that's interesting. The other thing too, um, is that, you know, we, we like to talk about constantly what CPL players would be a good fit at the next pro level how the Whitecaps could look to mine the Canadian Premier League, especially some of the youngsters um, that want a shot in MLS um, and and bring them in. But it does seem to be clear that they're still, uh, as an organization, taking as many looks at internationals, uh, guys playing further afield, and maybe not focusing as primarily on the Canadian Premier League as we might expect. So I just thought overall some of Axel's comments, you know, first about really taking a serious look at um, improving the performances in that second half of the next pro season. And then also, uh, you know, their, their search far and wide for talent that, uh, you know, as much as the Canadian Premier League is part of that, it doesn't seem like they're, they're focusing on it um, in a particularly directed way, which I, which I think is a little bit surprising. Yeah, I think that is a very surprising comment in the sense that, look, I mean, at the end of the day, this is, you know, as a, there's an advantage to being able to scout the domestic market properly. Let's just say that because look like, I mean, of course now with Canadian teams, international spots aren't the, you know, they aren't the buzzword they used to be where it was tough to fit guys in like so the, the new rules, but still the international spots are valuable. Uh, and especially if you can get domestics, right? Like if you can get domestic starters, that helps you, that helps you um, just round out your roster. It helps you give flexibility um, because look, I mean, I think with the, how the international market is for the most part, if you, at the first team level, it's, it's a lot easier. It feels like to manage the, the domestic market, uh, versus if you, man, if you can, it feels like any team that nails the, like for as like people heap praise on LAFC for how that some of the internationals they've signed, it feels like their handling of the domestic market is a reason why they are LAFC. So I don't know for, for the white caps, it feels interesting to say, especially at the second team level, where look, if you take a lot of punts on these international guys, 
great, especially I think if you're looking in the right markets. Like I think I'm intrigued by the fact that they've gone to Tanzania, Tunisia, or what I think it was in the, the case of Mary, if, if not Egypt, I think it might've been Tunisia and, um, you know, Gambia. Like, I think that's great because you're looking at under, uh, under scouted places where you could get some value, but you also have to remember if you load up with internationals on the next pro team, we're kind of talking this before the show, they do great. Then all of a sudden, if, you're loaded up with international spots at the first team level. It's a bit more of a, a headache to graduate them. Whereas if you hit on domestics, you can just sign them, plug them in. You don't really have to worry about that. Um, so yeah, that's gonna that's really the big thing where I'm like, uh, even just from that practical sense. Whereas if you're taking a punt on a bunch of domestics and some of them hit, it's a little easier to graduate them to the first team level than on internationals. I'm not saying don't looking at internationals at all. I think there's definitely some talent and some value to be had. Um, but I don't know. I feel like the the, the the domestic market could be undervalued, especially in the CPL, uh, especially when you see teams taking punts on guys like Mo Farsi, et cetera, and doing well. You're like, well, that's in your backyard. What's stopping you from going after guys like Mo Farsi, especially when, you know, I don't know, you can look across the CPL and name at least a, a dozen guys who I think could be at least worth a second team punt on, let alone, you know, a, a shot at the first team level. I mean, I, I think this is the thing, right? For anyone listening to the show, we're going to continue to beat this drum until we see the CPL to next pro to first team contributor evolution happen with this team. That's something that needs to be added to the to the organizational system, right? Like I, I think if you're you're one of three Canadian MLS teams, you have this domestic league that's growing and improving. We've seen, as you said, like with a Mo Farsi, we've seen American teams do it and do it with success. So this needs to be part of the arsenal. And uh it might seem like a broken record, but we're gonna keep talking about it until we we see the club do it. So um I think it's interesting, you know, how many, how many of any Canadian Premier League players will the Whitecaps target this offseason. Um, it's short so that they don't have that much time. Uh, we, we will find out soon, I'm sure, but that's just one to watch. And I was a little surprised by Axel's answer there, so I thought I'd mention it. The other thing I asked Axel about, which I thought I got an interesting response, was just the cycle of uh, not just adding players to the roster, but what do you do when players go out the door? And because that's a possibility. We we chatted on previous podcasts about guys like Pedro Vite, Ranko Veselinovic. You know, maybe it's time for them to to make a step. And where does that leave the club? And I thought Axel's answer was interesting. He said, Well, look at Julian Gressel. We didn't go out and try to replace like for like. Um, it's not like, oh, well, uh, you know, a central midfielder goes out. We need to bring a central midfielder in. It's often replacing with replacing with two good players. You know, you lose a Julian Gressel, you bring in a Richie Larea and a Sam Adekubi. Um, or it could be two players going out the door and just one impact player coming in. So it seems like there's a focus on not plug and play like for like. So say a Pedro Vite leaves, you don't necessarily have to replace that with a with a box-to-box eight or, a, or an attacking midfielder. It could be someone else if, if that's the right situation for the club. Um, and, you know, with Aranko Veselinovic, I think, okay, maybe it's a little bit more straightforward where certainly if you sell Aranko on, you probably already needed one key center back. At that point, you might be needing two. But I, I thought it was interesting just that they're, um, they're not looking to plug holes 
if players go out the door. They're just looking to bring in quality acquisitions to replace quality players that they that they lose. And Axel also added, I think that you know he's pretty pretty happy with the level of the squad, um, and, and it sounds like the the changes they want to make are more um, just that taking pretty good players and replacing them with great ones or great ones in terms of their fit. Um, so, you know, not necessarily completely reinventing the wheel, just making those incremental gains. Um, so I thought, I thought those comments about transfer activity and just not trying to replace like for like was a, was an interesting thought. Hey, it's straight out of the school of Moneyball, right? Like, you lose a good player replacement in the aggregate. Don't get hung up on just trying to find the perfect replacement. You know, just sometimes you also, the beauty of soccer is you can always tweak things, right? Like you can, um, if you, you lose, you know, a crucial left-sided center back, who's the absolute key to your buildup. Well, you can just adjust your buildup, right? Or adjust your formation or especially depending on who you find for replacement. Cause it's rare. You find like for like replacements. And I think teams that, Again, that's why always teams that do well, I think now, are teams that have a clear tactical philosophy. But sometimes it's easy to forget that a tactical philosophy doesn't necessarily have a set formation. It doesn't necessarily have a set idea. Um, so I think that's it's been interesting to see the White Cap kind of develop that. It's easy to forget. Like There's a reason why they've been kind of tweaking their formation over the last two years because I think Vanny has a clear game model, but... Um, sometimes ways to execute it are different. And I think having that flexibility helps because yeah, I look at this off season for already, for example, I'm like Richie Larea stays. Maybe you can consider playing wing backs. He leaves can make a lot of sense to play back four because Sam Adekubi suits a back four a lot more. You can, if you bring in the right center back and right back, all of a sudden it would make sense to play a back four. Whereas if you have certain profiles, a back three makes sense. Right. So, uh, I think that, that that's straight out the money ball books. I find that interesting out of from Schuster. Well, this one's actually not in the notes, but I've just been thinking about it. But often when we do these calls, uh, both Vanny and uh, and Axel try not to single out players and mention them by name, but there was one they couldn't avoid. And that was that there was some chat about Matias Laborda's exit interview and how Matias said and the staff agreed that he only really figured out how to play in MLS, how to defend in the final moments of his first season. And that Matias said to them, man, I, I wish the season was starting today because he was so encouraged by um, his performance in that playoff match and his last couple of performances in the regular season. And so I thought it was, it was valuable that they shouted that out. And I think it also certainly echoed my thoughts that, um, man, Matias seemed to be picking up speed at the end of the season. And I don't know. I've seen some chat out there on on social that he'd be one of the players they'd move on from in the offseason. I thought that was a little bit crazy because to me, I mean, we've been <laughs> we've been talking about this for a while, Alex. But he, you know, he could be a key part of uh, of a defensive movement, uh, especially if they're. I got stuck between movement and unit there, so I think I said move it, but. You know, if, if they switch to a back four, I feel like Matias Laborda with Sam Atakubi, with Tristan Blackman and someone else, uh, a fourth player to be named later, fits right in. And that could turn into a really uh, a, a real quality defensive line in Vancouver next season. So uh, 
yeah, not a ton of chat about individual players, but I just thought that one was important to bring up because uh, not to not to pull too much of an Axel Schuster and say it's like a new signing for someone they've already had on the roster for a season. But genuinely with Laborda, maybe he's at that level people expected going into 2024. It just it took a year to get there. Like a new signing, if you play him in the position you signed him to play in the in the first place. <laughs> no, but I think again, I I hold hope that Laborda can uh, can do a job, and man, they're going to need it at that price salary that they or that price point, sorry, that they negotiated salary wise um, for him. But yeah, I mean the numbers. Laborda had some decent numbers, all things considered. And the big one is he was pretty much one of the Whitecaps' best center backs, if not the best, in terms of winning aerial duels, which as we mentioned, was an issue all year long. So so they want to help solve that problem. Well, one internal replacement and solution is is, is Laborda. So I don't know. I was encouraged by what I saw in the last game of the season. I think it's kind of fitting that he showed that. What was interesting with Laborda, he showed all year long that he's naturally a center back, but he started as a fullback. He grew a lot and was actually like solid there at fullback. Um, even if you know you're like okay the, should he have been playing there no but he was solid there and I think even in this outside right center back role one that I personally again doesn't fully suit him the fact that he was able to adjust and put in some a good performance like that shows that he can be flexible he can do a job just curious to see what he can do if you put him in more of a natural position yeah absolutely okay the final couple points here for me um, and and I guess this first one's like a bit of a a bit of a sickos only technical one, but it is one to watch out for. And that's the, the preseason for 2024 all kind of hinges on this. What yes is going to be now called the champions cup draw that happens. I think it's early in December and there's two windows for the first round of the champions cup. So depending on which window Vancouver gets drawn into they'll have completely different preseason schedules because they're the, their first match will be weeks apart from when it could have been. So I think literally the, the Vancouver Whitecaps logistics staff, they planned out two completely different preseasons and they're just kind of waiting to pull the trigger on which preseason plan to enable based on this Champions Cup draw and, and when they actually know what their preseason fate is uh, less than three months before it's going to happen, which is just, you know, first of all, CONCACAF needs to get its proverbial, you know, what together, like that's completely ridiculous. But, but then also I think it's just something to, you know, check out the draw because it's, it's going to make a difference to the way 2024 starts for the Whitecaps. And uh, maybe we'll have to see what plans they have in place. But uh, Vanny said a lot of, a lot of glowing things, a lot of good things about the, the things the, the clubs learned, the way they they prepared in 2023. And uh, certainly everyone seems optimistic, despite those challenges, that they'll be able to get off to uh, a good start in 2024. Because obviously the last couple of years for Sartini's sides, that's that's been a bit of an issue. Despite um, what in 2023 seemed like pretty good preparation and they played well over that opening stretch, they didn't manage to secure results. And, uh, you know, those points, you'll, you'll look at, the drop results RSL on opening day and you, you probably like two or three additional points at the end of the season might've saved you from playing LAFC. So all these little things matter. And uh, I know it's really, really early to, to be thinking about all these permutations, but I just, I thought that was an interesting wrinkle that uh, I hadn't heard of yet. 
Yeah, I'm checking now. Round one, it's either it can be as early as February sixth. Which, by the way, like if you're a concrete calf, like you shouldn't rig a draw. But man, if there's a chance that February sixth sees Calgary hosting any games, because of course you have to remember Calgary FC have qualified. I don't know if that's a smart decision because, man, man, (laughs) to be fair, though, it would also be absolutely comical if, like, Club America, or I don't even know if they're in. I'm just going to – they are in. Club America draws Calvary in, like, round one in February 6th as leg one in Calgary. Because, man, that would be absolutely hilarious to see some of these um, players realize how cold it is in Alberta in um, February of course, the Whitecaps don't have big of an issue because uh, indoor stadium, the one thing where at one time where that comes into into handy. But yeah, it can be as early as February 6th. And then if not, it's there's a window 6 to 8, 13 to 15. So the next week, 20 to 22 or 27 to 29. We have know nothing about the MLS schedule. My bet is that um, it'll probably be that weekend of like March 1st to 4th will probably be opening weekend of MLS if last year means anything. If not... It could be even like February 25th, 26th um, if they really, if they want. So I guess it could actually be that early, especially because they'll probably want to jam League's Cup in. And then we have to remember next year there is a Copa America in the U.S., which will mess up venue availabilities and scheduling. So, yeah, I could uh, I expect the MLS weekend to probably start sometime around February 25th. So, man, that's, that's quick, especially if you're the Whitecaps and you draw a game on February 6th. Because preseason will probably usually starts around Jan- January 6th to 15th, anywhere between that. Even if you're only starting on January, like January 6th, a few days after New Year's sets, like you're already training and going at it for, for this year. Like you mentioned, that's, that's a quick turnaround, especially because now it's only November 17th. But a lot of the stuff like the reentry draft, super draft, etc., all that doesn't come until mid December. So pretty much like you're getting you're doing draft picks, you're signing guys, the transfer window opens like whatever it is, end of December. Pretty much it's like a week, two weeks of the transfer window being open. You're in preseason. Like it's it's a quick turnaround. Well, and, and that was exactly what Axel Schuster said is that, you know, he, he was asked, Will you will you have all your acquisitions in before before the first? match of 2024 and his answer was basically like yes of course i hope so but based on the way this schedule is laid out i can't guarantee it and and like fair enough um that it's such a quick turnaround now flipping that thing on its head this was kind of one of the final talking points i had was the idea of the white caps as an organization capitalizing on the positive momentum they built at the end of the season and this is one where the quick turnaround i think is quite a good thing actually because you just had your largest ever attendance for an MLS match. You, you built a lot of positive momentum at the end of the season in terms of fan engagement, interest far and wide throughout the city in this team. I think if you're able to boot things back up in February, that, that's probably a really good thing for the organization. Now, we talked about it a lot before, so I won't, I won't waste any more time with it here, but we're, we're going to have to watch as uh, – MLS schedule stuff gets announced. Have the Whitecaps been successful in their campaign for different start times? Uh, I know this is something that they're really they're really pushing for, looking at. Obviously, they can use the playoff matchup as a shining example of the kind of ticket um, clientele they were able to bring in that maybe was inaccessible. Um, 
Axel Schuster mentioned youth youth soccer teams, a massive one where they had opportunities to to pick up tickets. I think it was something like seven or eight thousand tickets were affiliated with with youth soccer teams, which is just uh, awesome, uh, awesome to see, and and hopefully something that can continue into twenty twenty four. So I think as much as it's going to be a challenge for the club, just in terms of an operational perspective, um, at the roster and then preseason management levels. I think when it comes to ticketing, marketing, uh, just the, the overall presence in the city, turning this thing around as quickly as possible is actually a really good thing. Also kind of random and then a tinfoil hat point, but fun fact, BC Place is the fifth biggest stadium in MLS. Because of that, does Lionel Messi play a game at BC Place in 2020, uh, 2024? <laughs> <laughs> no but yeah no in terms of uh the uh this chance it's huge chance right because especially i think the early champions cup run if you can go on a run and make a semi-final i, was, I think that, that could also be a chance to get some momentum because um especially if you're going to capitalize on that interest of fans who know the european game and know the other game uh, the, you know south american game but maybe haven't given the local game a shot it's easy to sell champions cup right you just say libertadores you say champions uefa champions like like oh okay like it's you know it's that sort of competition um so yeah well it'll be interesting to see the one thing is too the white caps typically always do well on home openers in terms of selling tickets just because again you have the whole off season to build and it's the start of a new season um, so yeah, there's some chances to build momentum. I think really the big thing is especially, man, if the Whitecaps can come hot out of the gates, because it feels like that's hurt them the last few years. Because they've had, it's been slow start after slow start after slow start. A good way to get momentum as well. Like we're seeing with the Canucks, right? Like you know, not to bring up the, uh, you know, the the, the Canucks here, um, but just look at the momentum that a hot start is getting them, right? All of a sudden it goes from, Oh, people are all pissed off and, you know, disappointed and, you know, should they have tanked for Bedard and all this stuff? And you, next thing you win, a, you win a bunch of games at the start. Everyone's like forgotten about that. It's like, oh, yeah, like it smells like the cop. Like, where does the parade go, et cetera? Like it's, it's something small, but it just it changes the momentum immediately. All of a sudden tickets are harder to get hands on. People are talking about the team. I just wonder what it could do for the Whitecaps for within the first few months of the season, like by April be already in a quarterfinal of a Champions Cup, already be top five in MLS off to a hot start. Um, you know, who knows what the Canadian Championship will look like this year, but, you know, if he'll start as early because of League's Cup. But if it's an early start time again, already went around in the Canadian Championship, people could be like, oh, wait, like, there's something special brewing already. Whereas sometimes the slow starts, like, ah, oh, classic Whitecaps are just going to finish mid-table again. Because, you know, so that's, that's the, that'll be the neutral perspective, right? Like, if you, you're not really following many games, you know, maybe you've tuned in at the end of last of this year. I think a hot start as well could, can't be understated on how important that is in terms of capturing the attention uh, of a fan base. Of course, we'll have to see what things are like at that time. Another unfortunate reality is that if this Canucks run keeps up, then they'll probably still be grabbing attention through February, March, April, and maybe beyond. Um, but still, I think as we see, this is a big city, and I think fans just want you know fans will support multiple like uh, like you know like they're not going to just be all in on one team. Like if the Whitecaps get off to a hot start, and um, again that'll be another thing for the Whitecaps schedule, right? Like we'll see like how much 
how much clash will there be between other events? Of course, they can't clash with the Lions, but that's also something to consider in, in, in a sporting city that also this MLS schedule didn't take advantage of. Like, look, you're in a city like Vancouver where the Canucks are a hot draw. Why would you want to schedule any games on the same night as them, right? Like, you'd want to spread or at least have it where you can have an afternoon game and the Canucks are playing at night. So I'm also going to be curious to see if that also is on the schedule because that will also help attendance because I know there's a lot of, you know, hockey fans that are also big soccer fans and uh having not having that crossover wall will also help so there's so many factors to to play into um from the hot start to the schedule to the start times just because of like you mentioned the families it brings in i know for especially in the case of a bc place you're getting so many more families if it's at two versus seven because of the parking the getting home etc so very fascinating to see what that schedule looks like for all those reasons yeah, so we'll see over the next month, month and a bit, where this falls in terms of Champions Cup, in terms of MLS schedule, uh, how the preseason is going to look, and and how all these puzzle pieces are going to fit together. I think it'll be interesting. Okay, the very last one. This is a, a not real. This is a no news news story, but you know we're talking about the start of next season. The one thing we don't know about at this point is Vanny Sartini and any potential supplemental discipline from those uh those scenes at the end of their playoff match at bc place uh in in typical mls fashion this is one they just i think are intent to sweep under the rug and we'll probably get some very short press release a week two weeks a month from now saying that he he's facing a two or three game suspension at the start of next season but uh yeah no, no news at the moment and i mean i think that's that's a final i guess to, to complete our discussion, it's a final factor that weighs into that start next year, right? I mean, it shouldn't make a difference, but it is a variable that you would you would hope not to have to worry about if you are without your bench boss for a couple of matches at the start of next year. So I think that's just, uh, we don't need to spend any more time talking about uh, the Vanny Sartini incidents from, from the end of that playoff match. It's certainly received enough airtime already, but uh, I think that's just a final little, piece of the puzzle that we'll have to uh, have to place in there to complete the picture for the start of next season. And uh, we'll see what happens if and when that news does come out. And I'm curious to see if any suspension, how it would be affected by Champions Cup. Like, are you still able to coach Champions Cup, but not MLS, et cetera, et cetera. Lots to, 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 to come down there. It's really hard to say because I feel like you can go anywhere from, it really depends on how it's interpreted because yeah, I could easily hear, okay, you know, they said Vanny made a joke. Should he have made the joke in that context? Probably not. Whatever. Slap on the wrist. He'll learn. Fine. Or it could be like, all right, this, you know, referee epidemic is a problem. Got to snuff snuff out any sort of, you know, language and set a precedent. Five-game suspension. Like you could tell me anything between the two and I would believe you. So, really, it's, it is it is a big thing for, from the Whitecaps' perspective. Um and also, yes, apologies uh, on my hand for the, the leaf blowing because uh, it's a Friday here and the, everyone in my neighborhood has decided it's a good time to mow the grass, blow some leaves, do the garbage trucks, uh, and I, I think there's some other things as well. So apologies for uh, for that. But we'll, we'll see if, uh, if, 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 if Vanny or over the next few weeks gets uh, blown away in a purgatory like the leaves and gets uh, gets dealt the, with, a, with a three-game suspension because... Or, or a fine because yeah i really you could tell me anything i would i would believe uh, any of those options presented 
Yeah, well, Alex, you, you you made a move, so we don't have the the hospital sirens as much anymore. But you you can't seem to escape some type of some type of ambient noise. It's just the way it is living in a big city sometimes. So, uh, you know, we we roll with the punches here on the Third Self Podcast, and we'll continue to do so. That was a pretty comprehensive show. I mean, for for something where there there really weren't a lot of big talking points. Uh, we're just at the infancy of the offseason, but uh, some roster moves, some end of season media comments, and I think a a growing picture of the way uh, the offseason will go for Vancouver, how the Whitecaps are going to look, both on the developmental side and the first team side headed into 2024. So uh, we're going to continue to bring that coverage as the offseason rages on. As you mentioned, Alex, draft, you know, re-entry draft all those kinds of things upcoming in the month of December. Um, and, and then it'll feel like uh, we're really only uh, only moments away from, from the start of preseason. So uh, we'll be with you every step of the way. Any final thoughts here before we, before we sign off? No, that's pretty much uh, everything for, for me um, as I try not to get blown away by this, uh, this noise, just for context, it was so loud that I, actually lost the ability to hear Sam there. For That's why I'm, you don't have the video. And I literally had to put, I usually only run one earbud in just so I don't hear myself um, talk with the microphone. I have to put the second earbud in and like squeeze them in and turn up the volume. Cause it's funny. My, my view right now is on an alley. That's a funny thing. Like, um, cause there's all like, if I was on facing the grass right under a tree, you get it. Okay. You're blowing some leaves. I'm on the alley. There's no trees in the alley. Like what, what leaves are you blowing away back there? But uh, hey, I appreciate the service to keep our, our streets clean. So I'm not too mad. Just kind of funny that I'm just like, man, what's what's going on here? But find me on Twitter at Alex Gagirizic on threads at AJ on the case and Instagram as well at the same handle on, on Blue Sky at Alex Gagirizic. Man, too many platforms. Let's figure something out here, guys. Um, but not jokes say you can find me there and yeah just appreciate the continued support on the show and uh if you've enjoyed make sure to 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 leave a a like a comment a review whatever platform you're on it goes a long way does not go unnoticed and uh appreciate everyone tuning in you can find me as always at samuel underscore rowboat on twitter at thirdsub.ca Alex put in a good shout out for Caleb's piece on CPL players, the Vancouver Targets. Uh, we'll continue to roll out off-season content. Coffee with the Caps, as always. Andrew putting in work there. Um, we'll have um, you know, there's a good, good piece by Mike Rice about some some Vancouver FC off-season wish list pieces that they might want to look into. Uh, so we're going to continue to roll out that content throughout the off-season. So. Uh, Check out the website. Uh, yeah, as Alex said, you know, give us a like, retweet, support, uh, subscribe to the podcast, all of that good stuff. It, it's been fun chatting football with you throughout 2023, um, you know, as we'll continue to do so here right up to, to the final base. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll chat again soon.